Good morning. Oh, there we go. All right. Anybody in the lobby? Y'all want to come on in here? I'm going to take over, take control. I know y'all are primed to hit the road. I'm sorry? Well, we'll do that at the end. Yeah, I can. I will. I finally got over deflecting things like that, so I'll let y'all sing to me. My wife's picking up the birthday cake today, so it's appropriate that you could sing before we get out of here. Yeah. No kidding. That's right. That's true. Yeah. That's it. Joe, anybody else going to join us? And I'm not going to guilt anybody that would rather kind of hug and kiss and kind of you know, drink LaCroix or something, but... So is, is, uh, is Michael in the house? Has he already hit the road? Well, ask him if he wants me to start, if he wants to come say something first. Thank you. So a, a random question again. What was your favorite thing anybody ate last night? Anything come to mind? That was really good. Fish and chips. Where'd you get that? Mac, is, is that like an Irish pub kind of thing? McNamara's, now is that in the Gulch? Is that, where is that? Okay. We have so many new places coming in. I don't know, you know, a small percentage of the restaurants that are coming in, but it is one of the great things about Nashville becoming, you know, one of the titles they're using now is Nashville's being called the Third Coast. It's not the East Coast, West Coast, it's the Third Coast because a lot of LA and New York are moving in and, um, it's just really upping the restaurant game a lot. And a lot of music, a lot of really fun, older rock and roll people are moving into town and a lot of new film industry coming in. A lot of great gospel ops. In fact, of the 40 years that we've lived here, a little over 40, I've never been more encouraged about uh, cooperation among churches. There was a real season when there was a lot of competition and a lot of uh, tribalism. And I, I just, it's really refreshing to see in the greater Nashville area more kingdom perspective and, and uh, very, very thankful for that. Uh, well, let me tell you what we want to do, and I'm still looking to see if Michael's going to come in and say anything. Sprinkle. Oh, there you are. Sprinkle any pixie dust. All right. So let me tell you my approach this morning, and I've sent this outline to the powers that be, and they'll put it up in the digital universe. If, if, if you want these seven things I'm going to read now, uh, you can have this. So don't worry about writing down a lot. Obviously, if I say some things that would be encouraging, I'm not asking you not to take notes. But let me tell you what I want to do for just a brief period and then make some margin for Q&A and certainly wrap up from Michael. So uh, I'm just titling this, What I've Learned from 50 Years of Ministry. So I've been involved at a lay level and professional level in ministry for 50 years at least. Actually, if I do the math, it's a little more than that. When I came to Christ in 1968, began to be discipled by the same guy that was Duffy's first discipler in Burlington, North Carolina, a director of youth ministry at the YMCA, J.L. Williams, started a group that Duffy and I and his wife Maggie were a part of called the New Directions. And so we were thrown immediately into uh, missional training, and uh, I thank God for that. 
I've been ordained uh, in terms of the Presbyterian world since uh, 1978. I was ordained at First Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, uh, into the PCUSA, came to Nashville in 79 as the youth pastor at First Pres Nashville. From there, the senior pastor and I planted Christ Presbyterian Church in 1981, and that's when we came into the PCA. Christ Pres sent me to Franklin in 86 to plant Christ Community Church, which I planted and pastored for 26 years. And then in May 2012, I left that role of senior leader, joined the staff of one of our daughter churches in Nashville called West, West End Community Church, where I've been serving now for almost seven years as teacher in residence, from which I travel and do a lot of stuff and feel like I live with about 70% less stress. In fact, bridging into this morning, that would be one thing I did not say last night that I would say that a part of this journey of becoming healthier and processing uh, who you are, uh, getting to know your nature as an image bearer of God, your new nature in Christ, doing the story work of nurture or your family of origin story, getting to know what kind of garden did you grow up in and how did that impact you or not getting to know uh, the narratives of life that you've been given or have chosen for yourself that are now contradicted by the gospel. And then also in that list of ends, looking at the nuclear events, the nukes of your life, your heart wounds and all, that in many ways will help you understand what growth is going to look like. A part of, and I didn't mention this last night, a part of what uh, becoming a healthier man husband, dad, pastor involved was really transitioning out of being a senior pastor earlier than I thought I would. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful the Father writes our stories. And, you know, some of us think, oh, I want to keep getting bigger, more, etc. And a part of my burnout led me to realize that really um, I was a part of a a, a real movement of God's spirit in downtown Franklin, but I was simply not wired. I could not stay mentally, emotionally healthy uh, trying to manage something so big. In the world of Myers-Briggs, I'm an INTP, an Enneagram world. I'm a five with a wing six, which just really brings about a lot of understanding. doesn't excuse anything, but part of my growth in self-awareness is begin to realize here, here's what probably as... A new man in Christ with a story of brokenness and weakness, here's probably how I can serve more faithfully and freely. And I'm so thankful that many times the way up is down. And so don't despise how the Father's writing your story. Don't assume that if you're in a big church now, the Father's not going to bring you into a smaller church. Just let God by his spirit narrate your story. So, amen. All right, let me do this. I'm going to read seven things out of 50 years of ministry that I would say. Here are seven things, and I've got seven because I ran out of paper. So these aren't the seven. I do like the number seven. It's a very biblical number, but let me pray first, and then I'm going to go through these things, make margin for any questions you might have, and then um, Michael will come up and then sprinkle the pixie dust. Father, thank you so much for the gift to me this week has been as... In and out as I've been, as full of a week it's been, thank you for the uh, hearts and the art combined in this room. Thank you for the groans that the Spirit is authoring. And Lord, the freedom we're having to 
know once again that the gospel is the safest place. It's not the most predictable place, but it's the safest place in which to live and move and have our being. Pray, Lord, that as I go through a list now, it will seem less like a list to read through, more like I pray, Lord, your faithfulness, certainly in my life with uh, friends I've been privileged to walk with for about a half a century in different forms of ministry. Encourage deeply these as they go. Oh, Lord, thank you that the gospel is not just true, but it's beautiful. Help us now, we pray, to be sons and daughters of your delight, more fully entering in to that dance that is ours in the gospel of really knowing your delight and also living and loving missionally until the day Jesus returns to finish making all things new. In whose name we pray. Amen. All right, seven things I've learned from 50 years of ministry. Number one, there isn't more than the gospel, just more of the gospel. Because it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll sooner sneeze a BMW into existence than we'll exhaust the glory and grace of Jesus. We simply cannot make too much of Jesus. I mean, age and stage now, I mean, this is, I see this more clearly than ever. Use this language early. Let me say it again. The gospel is a person before it is propositions. It has propositions. There's content. But it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel's not a something. It's a someone. I believe that more than ever. And you see, that is just critical to how we see the Bible, how we see ourselves, how we think of all things. Uh, Continue to stay in discovery mode of everything the Bible has to say about the person and the work of Jesus. He created the universe even before he came into this world to live in our place of life of perfect righteousness and die in our place exhausting God's judgment. Uh, that's just a critical part of, you know, of where I live now. Uh, on the cusp of that, even that celebration tomorrow with good friends, there is nothing more than the gospel, there's just more of the gospel. Number two, live and minister from the love of God, not for the love of God. Know that God doesn't love you to the extent you are like Jesus, but to the extent that you are in Jesus, which is 100%. Get this deep into your bones. We are worshipers first and workers second. I wish I, you know, I theoretically knew that earlier. I, I did. I mean, it's not like I, I, I never, I never theologically was a legalist. I never thought I could earn my way into heaven. But we're wired for pragmatism. We are wired for. Uh, Okay, sorry, thought I'd turn that off. So, you know, again, a lot of these seven are going to sound interdependent. And they are because they all highlight gospel centrality, the awesomeness of Jesus. But you be aware of where you assume pleasing the Lord means you can put a bigger smile on God's face. You can't. Pleasing the Lord means to honor him, not make him happy. He's not displeased at the beginning of the day. How can he delight in you more fully than he does when he declares he loves you as much as he loves Jesus? So this 
theme of living and ministering from the love of God for the love of God, it will propel us into a lot of the things that Morgan was talking about in the previous hour of how do we know that when we're counseling or discipling, our calling is to be present, not impressive. See, if you put the burden on people you're walking with, students or parents or pastors, to notice you, you know, where did you kind of park the delight of God that is fully yours? The favor of God abides on you, not like a panicked butterfly coming and going, but you live permanently in the favor of God. As we live and minister out of that, that absolutely is something that's more real and true to me than ever. Again, we are worshipers first and workers second. Number three of seven. Our Father is building for eternity, not next week. Plant gospel seed, water it, nourish young saplings, weed the bed, but always remember God alone causes the growth. Sometimes you'll see great fruit in this life, some fruit you'll only discover strolling around the new heaven and new earth. But no sharing of the gospel is ever wasted. Understand that the gospel, Paul writes in Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God into salvation. The burden's not on you to make that real. It's to declare it. There is no wasted sharing of the gospel. Sometimes the gospel hardens. Sometimes it absolutely resurrects. Uh, I think maybe, uh, I think Michael mentioned this the first night when, when I showed up here, but this is just true. Some of you have already lived to see this. Some of the kids that you're walking with now are absolutely by fallen nature allergic to grace. And they're going to go off to college and hear from somebody else the very same things you've been telling them. And they'll come home like, why didn't you tell me this good news about imputation of Christ's righteousness? And that's all you ever did. Keep doing it. See, don't, don't, don't take on the burden of thinking that somehow your main call is to defend the gospel or to make it believable and beautiful. No, you declare it. It is its own power, Romans 1.16. So be patient. Uh, again, if you happen to be in a season of ministry where God's really doing observable things, that's awesome. But if you're in a place in a season where you're not seeing that stuff, Welcome to most of the world, yet God is sovereignly breaking in. I mean, would we, say, would we say that the missionary in Afghanistan that labored seven years for half of a convert failed? Of course not. Because in the biblical story, one day, the knowledge of God's glory is going to cover all of western North Carolina. Is that what the text says? No. The entire earth as the waters cover the sea. There is no place you can minister the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that will not one day be filled with God's glory. Plant seed, water it, weed those beds. But please understand that God is fully responsible for resurrection. You can't raise anybody from the dead. The burden's off, the pressure's off. I know for some of you, one of your biggest pressures is having parents in your church that really want you to do what they're not committed to do. You know, keep my kids virgins and off drugs until marriage, and you will have succeeded as our youth pastor. Well, good luck with that one. 
I'm not saying those aren't good categories to think about, but you know, you're, you're not surrogate parents. You're not. And so that's third of seven in terms of just these broader categories of what, what have I learned through 50 years and what things are more precious to me than ever and more freeing. Number four, none of us is the fourth member of the Trinity. Our calling isn't to fix kids, change the world, or heal the church. That's the domain of the Trinity. Nothing, listen to this, nothing is ultimately contingent on our anything but on God's everything. Now, learn more effective ways to do what you do. I absolutely love listening to Duffy yesterday talking about communication. Duffy is a phenomenal communicator and, and pragmatically learn how indeed to teach contextually wherever you are and, uh, and yet understand that it, it, you're, you're, you're not the fourth member of the Trinity. There is none. And so really come to more fully appreciate that. Uh, love as you are loved. You see, new commandment ministry, new commandment living, you know, we're always driven back to that good news. You know, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love one another as I have loved you, which presupposes we are increasingly coming alive to the way Jesus loves us. Number five, the greatest gift you'll give anyone is your ongoing commitment to groan and grow in grace. Seek to be as free, whole, and healthy as the gospel will make you this side of glorification. Keep dying to your pose and heart idols as you come more alive to the beauty of Jesus and riches of the gospel. You can see how all of these nuance basically the same thing. We're, we're, we're saying, or what I'm saying is, after 50 years, I believe this more than ever, the gospel must be central because Jesus is central to creation, to redemption, to restoration. Jesus is the only hero in the Bible. Don't set up your students to be the next Deborah or Daniel or whoever. Because all of those lives point to Jesus. Every one of them. Isn't it awesome that God chronicles the brokenness of all of the people he calls his leaders? A man after God's own heart, David, commits murder and adultery. Abraham, the father of the faithful, two times passes off his wife as his sister See, it, it be encouraged that God chronicles how weak we are to magnify the excellencies of Jesus. Now, don't say, because Abraham did that, I get to do it too. Now, to see the beauty of a life of quicker repentances. In fact, that's one of the things I'd say to you. A mark of, your, a mark of our growing in grace will not be having less to repent of, but have quicker repentances. Because the Lord's going to show you more of the beauty of Jesus and therefore more of your ugly. You're already legally beautiful, but you're not ontologically as beautiful as Jesus yet. But you will be. So, you see, part of the journey is, of course, three years from now, it's not going to shock me that the Lord's going to show me some part of my heart and story that's yet to come under the reign of grace. Isn't it good he doesn't show us at the beginning of the Christian life everything that growth is going to involve? Can you imagine dealing with your, all your mess at the very first day you were converted? Our Father has begun a good work that he is committed to complete. Number six of seven, 
Ministry like life isn't a solo sport. Don't do life and ministry alone. Walk, repent, laugh, weep, and dance with the gospel posse. That's just a language I used last night. Just be aware of even now the kind of friendships you're making most margin for. Uh, absolutely walk with people that you enjoy being with. But, you know, just think of, Lord, who right now have you placed in my life? that's going to far more make it more predictable that I'm going to be walking with someone that's going to, I'm going to be walking with friends, brothers and sisters in Jesus that, that are going to make me thirstier to be a healthy person that really are going to know the difference between accountability and accountability in the gospel. Um, in fact, if the, even the word posse doesn't make sense, let me even put that in context because I realize nobody's as old as I am. And in this room, at least, anyway. And uh, I grew up with a lot of old cowboy films and movies. Saturday morning would be having a quarter to go to the Graham Theater and see a double feature and a box, get a box of popcorn for 25 cents. And most of the time, they were either, you know, laughable horror movies or cowboy movies. And every cowboy movie had a posse. Posse was simply a gathering under a sheriff of a group of people going on a mission. And it involved a harmonica player and bad coffee, and campfires, and pulling buckshot out of each other's rear end, and, but living on mission together. You are living in the ultimate story that has no possibility or probability, but an actual ending called new heaven and new earth. Walk with people that will make it easier for you to repent. Walk with people that you will invest in because you want to call out their glory. Um, that's just a critical part of life. Again, tomorrow, as my friends will gather for birthday, it's going to be fun just to see in that, in our home, those 35 people, every one of them, as I mentioned last night, every one of them have had major disruptions in life for which the gospel alone was sufficient. And we've done life together. And yet tomorrow, most of them will meet each other for the first time. Because the Lord has just been giving me that greater sense of the privilege of walking with those that treasure the gospel, whether they are owners of companies or whether they are, you know, this side of some real burned out ministry. Lastly, and I finish with this, is kind of where we were last night and a lot of the singing, and then I'll see if there's some questions about anything I've shared this week or any of these categories. Number seven of seven things I've been learning these 50 years and continue to learn our Father will bring to completion the good work he has begun in us and in his entire cosmos. All of history is tied to God's commitment to redeem an every nation family for himself and to make all things new through Jesus. This isn't a possibility, probability, but a glorious reality. Our labors in the Lord will never be in vain. That's not triumphalism where you beat your chest and you say nonsense like some of us in the 60s and 70s ended up with. And this was an actually a song. I read the end of the book and we win. How American is that? Reducing everything to a rugby match and we want to win. You know, really a fair reading of the Bible, what it would be. No, I read the, win, I read the end of the book, the Bible, and the lion of the tribe of Judah triumphed over us and the entire universe. 
So we are those in Ephesians 4 who are in the parade of grace, not a parade of shame like a king coming into a city and conquering and walking through the city, those, who, who, those whom he has pillaged. We are, in, we are in the triumph of grace. The gospel has triumphed over us. Men and women, you're not going to hell you are going into a resurrection world of the entire family of God from every period of history, redeemed, secured, protected, gathered in new heaven and new earth. And whatever you're doing now, every kid you share with, every kid that annoys you, every parent, every pastor that makes it hard for you to do your job, don't focus on them. Fill your heart with the hope, not the hype, the hope of the gospel. And live in love until the day Jesus finishes making all things new. I mean, this is just a tapestry, like I said, of seven affirmations, different angles of saying the same thing. The gospel is true. The gospel is beautiful. The gospel is Jesus. And therefore, the gospel is the whole trinity. Hallelujah. Now, let me pause there and just see if going through this entirely too fast, you're still back on that image of sneezing a BMW into existence. But any questions about some of the things you heard from the story work I've done or burnout or, or even categories of, of, of looking after 50 years of ministry? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so without a doubt, um, I mean, um, the, that war between equating doing ministry with being with Jesus is, is a challenge we have. And, and at certain levels, we, we, we end up wanting to double dip, right? Okay, I, I really enjoyed preaching or sharing the scripture with students tonight. And you should, and we should. But you see, it, it's like, me saying to my wife, Darlene, honey, I really enjoyed weeding the garden with you today, but we don't have face-to-face -face time, right? So um, one of the things, and I'll, I'll share with you more recently, really for the last, uh, it, uh, let me just speak very specific about the last 10 years, all right? So um, coming out of burnout, getting counseling, getting physically healthy, uh, beginning to sleep, beginning to eat more healthily, beginning to exercise, beginning to walk with healthier people, repenting of a lot of stuff that absolutely was ministry idolatry, I realized my heart needs to engage. So I started 10 years ago a discipline of just getting up a little bit early. Jack Miller, my spiritual father, had taught me how to pray, read the word, how, how to read the Bible at a slow and enough pace that the Bible's actually reading you. You're not just reading it. And rather than, you know, getting through your evangelical four chapters a day so you can race through the whole Bible and feel good about your Bible reading for that year, Jack used to say, just marinate in the scripture and, 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 and pray what you're reading back to the Lord. So I, and I just started because I do, uh, you know, uh, ADD, I, I do, I'm highly distractible. And uh, I just got out my laptop and would just choose a little portion of scripture and just attend to it, sit in it and just, Write a prayer back to the Lord. Well, I never started writing prayers daily for anybody but me. Just said, I, I, I need a discipline that will help me kind of connect more with 
head, heart, and hands, right? We've talked about that, that, you know, uh, the three offices of Jesus, prophet, priest, and king, we don't have a Neapolitan Christology, pick your favorite flavor. It's the whole Jesus, and we want to engage with the whole Jesus. You know, what do you give a, what do you give a prophet? You give him your attention. What do you give a priest? Your sin and brokenness. What do you give a king? Your obeisance and your obedience. And so for me, I just started this discipline of, of writing prayers, and then I sent a few to friends, and 10 years later, I begin every day now between 4 and 4.30 in the morning, getting up, laying aside about an hour and a half, just to spend time with the Lord and, uh, and, and to meditate and to pray and to preach the gospel to my heart and, and to share you know, those things, um, some of you are familiar with that thing that I do. I post prayers daily at the Gospel Coalition and an uh, inter, uh, international prayer app called Prayer Mate. And, and it's not a burden, it's just a delight. And, and so that's a part of what I do. But a part also is I have learned to uh, say no to some things that I might say yes to other things. You know, I can, I'm quite capable of sitting down and watching 12 hours nonstop of the Food Channel. I love great photography, I love food, I love cooking. And I just began to realize, you know what, huh, that was pretty easy. Binge watching Chef's Table. Huh, what if I just basically use some of that time in a way? See, you obviously you know where I'm going with this. You know, what do we want and how bad do we want it? Uh, a, a big takeaway from a week like this would be really, okay, where will I, moving into 2020, think far more about not really you know, doing kick-ass youth ministry. But, but I want to be more alive to the beauty of Jesus. What will that require of me, not as an earner, but with effort? See, the gospel puts an end to all earning, but not all effort. Gospel puts an end to all merit, but not all muscle. And we will go after the things we want. Now, part of my becoming healthier was realizing that I even turned exercise into an obsession. I had four orthopedic surgeries uh, tore a meniscus, ruptured L5S1, and had rotator cuff surgery in both shoulders out of exercise. Okay, now I can't do that. So now I just walk. I'm a, I'm a uh, what do you call that thing? Fitbitter. So I walk. And when you walk, you do life slower. You're not thinking how high to get my heart rate up. So I walk now on the average about seven miles a day. A lot of you can't do that. I, I, I'm an empty nester. got three grandsons in town. You know, again, but you see, it starts somewhere. How can you put yourself in a position to do life at a slower pace with an intentionality of connecting your heart? Again, so much of what Morgan was talking about earlier about this domain, you know, where my affections, am I aware of functionally like Asaph, where am I going when Jesus is not enough right now? And what does repentant faith look like? Collapsing upon Christ, not promising you'll never again indulge or binge or something like that, but to say, Lord, I know where true life is found. So that's, you know, um, spend more time in quiet, uh, you know, um, I spend more time uh, blasting my heart with, uh, with the right kind of music. And uh, when I was running or riding a bike, it was just loud rock and roll just to get me through the workout but now at a slower pace. So, I mean, that, that's for me a part of it. My day is structured differently. I'm more intentional about really meditating. Through a lot of the brokenness and sin and repentance, I'm not as likely to be confused that I am what my crowd's telling me I am, right? You know, my, the, uh, 
the cocaine of ministry, it's just not as alluring. It's more like stale flour now. You know, it's not giving me the same high and buzz it used to, which is good. Because I, I, I hear the Lord sing more now. And, 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 and I, let me say this. I am busier than ever when I cease being a senior pastor. You know, used to have people walk up to me. They still do. They say, Scotty, how's retirement? Because they assume when I left Christ Community Staff, I retired. Like I've got calluses now from playing shuffleboard or something. Let me see your calluses. <laughs> you know, I am busy, but I don't have as busy of a spirit. And, and I want to, if, if the Lord gives me 10 more years, I, I would love 10 years from now to be with a lot of you and, and just say, you know, isn't it sweet to do life at the pace of grace? You're not the fourth member of the Trinity. Ministry's not your identity. Uh, who our Father declares us to be in Jesus is and existentially connecting with that journey of being healthier, being more free, and perhaps a transition. Maybe some of you are planning the rest of your life around ministry. What if 10 years from now you realize, you know, the Lord's really going to call you into the business specter. That's not going to be not ministry. But just be aware of the Father writing your story. And do what you do now with joy, with humility, with kindness. And, uh, you know, these are gospel realities. So is that helpful? Again, and boy, there's a lot of us that could say, you know, here's what's helping me now. I spend more time in my quiet times outside because if I sit still too long, I get bored and I just get kind of navel-gazing. So I'm out more doing, you know, thinking those things. Any other questions or comments before Michael comes? Yes, ma'am. Oh, thank you. I'm still working. In fact, I'm glad you asked that question was. So when I mentioned in uh, year 2000 at age 50 hitting burnout, that's when I really began to do some really, really good work with counselors, with uh, physician, with just, you know, uh, as, a, as a married man, and then Tom's dad. But Randy back there, he was a part of what I now refer to as, uh, you know, when, when there's an earthquake, what do they call those things, aftershocks? And, and what do you call sometimes after a big tsunami, other waves can come in, right? So there's a, there was a second part of my burnout. Uh, you know, when, I, when a burnout hit the wall, we were transitioning from downtown Franklin into our new property. Uh, and, and so I did not make the necessary time and margin to stay with, to do the work required. And so I went through an aftershock that was just about as devastating in terms of really showing me, you're not healthy, Scotty. So... Uh, uh, you know, the, the, the process, I would say, from 2000 to about 2010, there's a 10-year period there. That 10-year period there was me seeing, coming to understanding, repenting quicker. But really, it required me uh, no longer being a senior pastor for me really to regain my heart and my sanity. That's not true of everybody. I would never say you can't be a senior pastor be healthy. I would never say you can't be a youth pastor, youth worker, and not be healthy. We just got to be aware of the toll. Um, so these last, I would say, the last decade, I, I feel now emotionally, mentally, spiritually more alive than when I was 40 years old. And uh, that's just God's grace. Now, again, my flesh and my heart may fail, as Asaph said. You know, I'm not counting on the new prosperity theology. You know, 70's the new 50. No, so now, you know, 
You, you could read my obituary next week. And you know what? I'm, a, I'm good with that. Because, you know, I, I'm so thankful that my life is not defined by how big the church, how many of the whatever stuff anymore, as much as it was. Is that helpful? You know, so it's a, a journey, but it's ongoing. We mentioned we still have our counselor on speed dial. And, and Dan Allen is one of my best friends in the world. And his wife, Becky, and Darlene and I, we do a couple stuff together. We'll be leading a bunch of missionaries late May, early June that Randy will be at in Spain. And, and we'll, you know, good, good friends that repent together and laugh together and pray together. So prayer is so central. No, absolutely not. You think less about getting healthier is being fixed. Oh, I'm so glad I'm over that. See, part of growth in the gospel is you move the paradigm from getting over something to growing through all kinds of stuff. Isn't it awesome to know that we will recognize Jesus and the new earth in his resurrection body with his scars? Don't despise your scars. Don't despise your wounds. The gospel is not about... In fact, one of the most profound things Dan Allender said to me as a part of, as a friend, helping me move towards repentance and really following Darlene into getting healthier, Dan got nose to nose with me, and he has a large prodigious part of his face called a nose. So when he gets in your face, he's in your face. But Dan said, Scotty, as long as your cry for relief is louder than your cry for a changed heart, you're not going to grow as a man. <laughs> Because I wanted relief. I wanted a wife that didn't have messy feelings. I wanted a wife to be happy. Because we all know the chief end of man is to believe the gospel and have a low-maintenance wife. <laughs> don't you dare say amen on the back row, Michael. You know, in fact, you, single men don't use the phrase low-maintenance wife. Uh, no, chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And, and a lot of that is through our pain. And uh, don't do a redo of Carly Simon's old song, I haven't got time for the pain. Make time for the pain. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Yeah, attunement, that has become, for Darlene and I, a category through the work of John Gottman. I don't know if you know that name or not. Uh, probably not a believer, but a lot, of, uh, a lot of people that understand trauma work look to John Gottman up in the Northwest. He really understands the interplay between shame and contempt. And uh, attunement, of course, is a category of more alignment with head and heart. And so theological attunement, again, sitting more in the implications of what the texts are saying and allowing our hearts to worship, and, but also in relationships. See, the, I won't say quickest because that's not the, that shouldn't be the paradigm. The surest way that we will become more relationally present is to be relationally present with our Father. And I need to, and again, Morgan, that's a lot of what you're saying, you know, and it, so much of life is, can I sit in the presence of the triune God and be undone and be enjoyed and, and not squirm and not finish the conversation and not interrupt God? And who can help me go there? In the body of Christ, you know, uh, 
You know, if, if we just surround ourselves with friends that just be whatever, but never get, just know how to have fun, be cute, be crass, be whatever, but never get below the waterline, you know, what a lonely life we're going to be living. And again, I'm thankful for a patient wife that was working in our marriage 14 years before I would enter into the coupleship work that has made us now best friends. We, Darlene and I both, I'm sure, would say there were times in our marriage we weren't sure it would survive, the loneliness. And uh, God's been generous and gracious, and I'm so thankful. I mean, each, each of us will weep more over the other's grave, whoever goes first. And uh, other questions or comments? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, that's good. So, so yes. Um, so, what, a lot of good stuff are going on now in this world. Uh, Morgan mentioned three different disciplines uh, and the interplay of special grace and common grace in, in, in good therapy or work or counseling, et cetera. And, and fortunately, we in the body of Christ have been learning a lot more about trauma more than ever. You know, we're in a generation of so many people coming back from war and uh, post-traumatic stress is no longer just a cute category. And so we're learning more about trauma. We're also learning more about the brain. And there's more good work going on now in the world of the physiology of the brain that would say, how does trauma get lodged in one part of the brain that whether it's through EMDR or brain mapping or, or, or good science, we can move a trauma to a part of the brain that objectively with the cognitive reality of the gospel and the spirit's work can really help you know, understand, what are my trigger mechanisms? Now, let me say this about sexual abuse, for instance. Not everybody, if you had four people that had pretty much the same narrative of sexual abuse, it's not predictable that everybody will experience the same damage, triggering, and trauma. We want to honor our own story. But there are some common themes that go with trauma work that, you know, uh, more specifically to your question, that would say, if I do not deal with these heart wounds, again, we're not looking for excuses, but information and explanation. If I don't deal with them, then my, the body does keep score. Who wrote that book, The Body Keeps Score? You know why I know that book? That's an important book. It's just true. That's a part of what it means to be made in the image of God. If I'd walked in here this morning, and you'd look down at my, uh, my blue jean, and I would have a um, shin bone sticking out, and my vast hiking boot was filling up with blood, and I'm oblivious to it, what would you say? Dude, wake up. We need a little self-awareness here. You know, we need, you know, forget your seven-point talk. We got to get you to the ER. It's more easy to see a trauma in the body than a trauma in the heart. And a lot of times in Christian subculture, in the world of just of words, we just try to put Romans 8, 28 band-aids on compound fractures. And so we want to be in healing communities that will enable us to kind of move in a fashion that the trajectory of those who understand trauma, care, abuse, etc., cetera, um, can really move us forward. Um, Michael, would you come on up here? Because I can tell you're, it's about that time, because you don't own this, center. You don't own this property, and there's more people coming in behind us. So 
Gang, let me say this. Thank you all so much for letting me come and be with you. And uh, I wish my schedule had not necessitated me being gone that one day. But it is an honor to walk with you. Um, you're in our area or some things I've said that are encouraging to you that, you know, my email is kind of public domain, so you're more than glad to kind of let me know. I will not promise you I will immediately respond to anything, but, you know, anyway, thank you, brother. Thank you very much, brother. Good stuff. Really, really thankful that you uh, were with us this week, and we're, uh, we're thankful for the way you, uh, your ministry touches folks all over the place. So thank you for that. We'll continue to celebrate God's work in you and God's work through you. Yeah, preach it. This is just to encourage you as you go. Think about now the three kids you're going back to that make your life miserable. Youth ministry would be great if you didn't have these three kids. The reason I wore this jacket today, jacket today, you see on the back of that big work McCartney. So there was a guy and a friend of mine who used to be Fleetwood Mac's tour manager, lived with Mick Fleetwood in L.A. His job with Fleetwood Mac was to do the pharmaceuticals every night. Here's where six lines of cocaine would be for Lindsey Buckingham. Here's where a fifth of Jack Daniels would be for Mick beside his drum kit. This guy sovereignly was converted out of being one of the most obnoxious human beings in the universe. He gave me this jacket because he heard me preaching one day about how much I love the Beatles and how much Paul McCartney in particular. He, at that time, was the tour manager for Stephen Curtis Chapman. Can you imagine moving from being Fleetwood Mac's tour manager to Stephen Curtis Chapman? Don't you dare look at any kid and say they are beyond the capacity for the spirit to raise the dead. Amen. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, Stephen Curtis Chapman was like, only green M&Ms over here. In a straight line, please. <laughs> stuff like that. I'm sure that's exactly how it went, right? Anyway. It's kind of fun that he said I was going to spread some pixie dust because I've got two big, heavy pieces of pixie dust that I have to get rid of here. Um, and I'm, you know, as one who grew up in birthdays were not a big thing in my family. My wife loves birthdays, and I just love giving stuff away. So birthdays sort of gifty time. Um, so I'm just going simple. And also a little bird whispered in my ear to gave me a good idea. So this is going to go to the, uh, the male-female uh, birthdays closest to today. So I think I know of one whose birthday is tomorrow uh, who is still here. Um, he needs to speak, um, and uh, I'm waiting for him to, there, Jesse, yeah, Jesse Swint from Signal Mountain, come on up, all right, so, lady in the house, and you can go beyond today, today will we'll break my rule of not going over, so birthday closest to today, lady in the house, oh, come on, you get free toys, 14th of February, isn't that, isn't that like Valentine's, or is that the 15th? Huh? January, sorry. Oh, I was about to say, Valentine's, baby? Or is it the 15th? Is it Valentine's? Oh, okay, yeah. Anyway, January 14th? January 15th is closer. Anybody else getting closer to the 15th? Going once, going twice. Tony Pate, uh, you get to choose first. Coffee or... There you go. The baby mug for Tony Pay Phillips from Raleigh Redeemer and Jesse Swint at Signal Mountain. Well done. All right. You did it, guys. You did it. You got out of there. Um, it's been hard ever since. It's my weird thing I say at birthdays. I was like, good job. You got out of there. Let's celebrate that. Anyway.
I don't have much to say other than thank you all. Be praying for you as you travel. I know some of you all have to sprint out of here. Others will be chill. Um, if you actually are in no hurry um, uh, and you want to stick around and help, there may be some need on uh, stage pieces being sort of pieced together. Um, so you can kind of stick around and talk until the stage people get here. But um, I, I love the Aaronic blessing from Numbers. A lot of people read it at the end of worship services. You know, it's somewhat common. Um, but uh, the past few years, um, I heard another pastor um, kind of like uh, tweak the verbiage a little bit to make it a little more personal, in my opinion. And then as I started reading a little bit more about it, I, I, so I did that uh, where I'd pause and say something in the middle. But then I was just reading a little bit. Uh, when you read the few words before and the few words after, it makes it even more personal. So this is going to be an, uh, a, a benediction of sorts, um, but I'm going to read it at, you know, but uh, I'm going to read it, and I just wanted to, want you to hear um, the personal, uh, 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 what word I'm looking for, the proactive movement towards, God, God's proactive movement towards his people um, in, this, in this brief passage that you hear a lot, but I'm hoping it will, it, will, it will come to you very personal, very tenderly. So stand up, and let's receive God's benediction. If you're a handouter, raise them wide and bear hug this blessing. Um, if you're a bow header person, do what you want to do to hear and see the Lord as he speaks this blessing over you. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you. Do you see his smile? The Lord turn his face towards you and place it upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Amen, guys. Have a safe trip home. Look forward to seeing you guys down the road. Good night now. <laughs>